Welcome to the latest edition of the Selby is Godcast, courtesy of The Athletic Cleveland. He is Zach Meisel, live in a ballpark in Arizona, with a baseball game actually being played. And I'm TJ Zuppi back in Cleveland. But I am sitting outside, so it's not like the weather is so horrific that I'm super jealous. And you know, in, in a couple of weeks, we're going to flip places anyways, so... I'm, I'm willing to live with the fact that you're sitting at a baseball game right now, just enjoying yourself. Yeah, I just watched Rob, Robert Serrate, I think is his name, um, give up a three-run bomb. So it's uh, Indians and A's tied at six now. And, uh, oh, jeez. I, I will say this. When, you sit, like, when we're in the press box, you know, someone hits the ball, and, and if someone thinks that it's a home run, we'll go easy, easy. So we're not used to sitting in the stands. I think that anytime someone makes contact right now, it's going over the fence. I just, I just thought this ball was headed like to the wall, and it landed at shortstop. Yeah, a couple of years ago during the World Series, in fact, Game 7, for the entire postseason I sat in the press box. Game 7, I got kicked out to the auxiliary press box. So I had a different view of, of Game 7 of the World Series than I had at any point in the season. And nobody, it's, it was in the kids' clubhouse which has an outdoor area. And so watching the game out there, everything that happened, like every ball in the air, what is that? Is that a pop fly? I'm watching the outfielder. I'm watching the ball in the air. I have no sense of where anything is at. So when Rosh hit that, that ball down the left field line, it was such a shock because not only was it an amazing moment when that took place and so unexpected, but I had no... I had no sense of where the ball was going. So it shocked me that it cleared the fence just watching the trajectory. I couldn't tell if it was going off the wall or going foul. And then I, I, I kind of feel for those that saw Jason Kipnis in that game hit that screamer down mm-hmm. the line that everyone thought for a split second was heading over the wall and it was going to win the World Series for the Indians in the bottom of the ninth. And where I was sitting, I have to feel bad for everybody else because immediately I knew, oh, it's headed in my direction. It's a foul ball. So I had no idea why everyone thought that that was such a great thing until I went back and watched the replay and went, oh, oh, I can see what where, where people are talking about here. So, yes, I think perspective here is important for us. Well, there, there are a couple of ballparks around the league that their press boxes are in, like, short right field, like the White Sox, the Angels. And you have – you're not accustomed to that at all, and you just – you're right. You have no concept of like, is this ball a home run to right or is it like a pop up to left? I have no, no idea. <laughs> the, the best view that I've seen so far is the the Giants. Not only is the ballpark in San Francisco immaculate, but the view that they have for the press box is fantastic. It is. They have the lower bowl, and then there's the walking area, as you're you know you're familiar with, and picture where the Indians now their club lounge is behind home plate, picture that raised up just a little bit to be kind of in that second deck, you know, where those low sweet seats are right above there. That's mm-hmm. where their press box is. So as you sit there and because it's San Francisco and the weather is tremendous and everything's great, everything is open. You can see everything. And we were out there for one of Mike Clevenger's starts and it blew me away watching you're basically sitting right behind home plate with a perfect view of how those pitches move. So every time that we're up in the press box and I say, ah, well, pff, I could have hit that. Then I about crap my pants as I'm sitting back behind home plate, uh, sections behind where Mike Clevenger is ripping off breaking balls. Perspective is fun. I like when we can kind of change it up a little bit. See, but I, I kind of think the other way around. 
I shouldn't admit this because I'm a jerk, but <laughs> the other day, Josh Tomlin was throwing a, a side session, and I, like, I'm sure he's not going 100% during this. And But I was saying to Jordan Bastion, I was like, I feel like if I stepped in there, I could hit some of these. Um, and I'm sure when you actually step in there and, and stare down the pitcher, you've no chance. But it, it seemed like the closer I went, like when I'm watching from the press box during a game during the season, like – you don't even see the ball because it's it's moving so fast. But uh, I don't know. Close up, I I got cocky and thought I could I might be able to hit one of these Tomlin fastballs. All right. Well, you can run that by him next time you see him. Yeah, see don't tell him thinks. I said that. <laughs> you couldn't have picked like a, a a a perhaps easier person to hit because of of the velocity that he's throwing. Of course, it would look easier to hit a Josh Tomlin fastball as opposed to a Mike Clevenger ripped off breaking ball or an Andrew Miller slider. Yeah, of course you think that watching it. He's, he's up there probably throwing 86, 87 miles per hour. You're seeing that in high school. But when you actually get in the box with a toothpick on your shoulder and now you're trying to hit the <laughs> damn thing, good luck, my friend. I mean, I look, I, I know how I would actually fare. but <laughs> And the worst part is that I I was never a very good hitter. I was I had a good eye. I could walk, but that wouldn't help me against Tomlin because everything would be on the outside corner. Would you put up a better slash line against Josh Tomlin if you got the exact same amount of plate appearances that Michael Martinez got in his entire career? Wow. No. Nothing. There's no not way. even close. There's no way. <laughs> You'd be talking about like the one of the worst weighted run created plus is of all Well, I mean, time. think about like you could make contact, but is there any chance you like hit, hit it out of the infield or hit it where a fielder isn't? There, there's, there's no way. Could you bunt for a base hit? Could you at least get a couple of base hits? I'd be too afraid I'd break a <laughs> finger. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, well, this isn't going to be all about perspective in hitting Josh Tomlin's batting practice fastball uh indians made a move today and it was for a friendly face brought back to camp the party is back on zach now set the scene for me with mike napoli back in indians camp so francisco lindor was getting ready for today's game and saw a couple of reporters kind of lingering i don't know 20 25 feet away from his locker and (laughs) he sprints over to where we are changes as he goes he, he was putting on a new playlist on his ipad as everyone's like getting dressed for the game and it was i think he went to lose yourself by eminem and so as he's putting that on he like sprints over there and just yells um i love nap he's so great he's the best we're happy to have him back and then like sprints back to his locker to finish getting ready so like it was just a perfect scene of everybody first of all knew what we were looking for but also just people are uh, they're they're glad to have him back, and I think they all understand the situation. Um, you know, they know this isn't going to be barring something completely unforeseen, like Edwin Encarnacion breaks his ankle or something like that, um, or, or Yonder Alonso gets hurt. He's only going to be here for a month tops, and I think they all know that, and that's why, um, like, he's not going to have his locker in the middle of all the veterans. He, he's not going to be playing every single day and, and taking a bats away from guys. He's here for a few reasons. One, to audition for a job with a different team. Two, to provide uh, that clubhouse presence that was so valuable two years ago. And three, to be insurance just in case there is an injury, um, which which that's, that's probably the least important or, or the longest odds of 
of him being impactful. So uh, it, it's it, everyone knows the situation. I think they're all excited to have him back and just to be around him. And, and it's fun to reminisce. I mean, that was a, a crazy, crazy season with just a ridiculous finish and uh, an enjoyable and unforgettable October ride, even though it didn't end the way they wanted to. And I mean, they already got Rajay Davis back in here, so why not get Mike Napoli too? And why stop there? Bring back Bird, bring back Calgill. Let's get the opening day roster. If anyone can find Juan Uribe, that's going to be the (laughs) toughest one. Uh, I don't think anyone would have any leads on that. And by the way, speaking of setting the scene, as you're watching a baseball game, I just had a a young man stroll by listening to about seven-year-old Green Day on his phone. So, you know, you've got things to look at. And I've got crazy things going on in my neighborhood, too. So don't feel like you're so privileged to be out there in Arizona. Well, I will say that reminds me, you know, they still have that. They, they don't have like players don't pick their walk up songs. For <laughs> no. training. They have the same like four songs that they just switch on and off that they've had for like the last eight years. It's, because it's I'm happy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Enough. The playlist yeah. from two, what is it like? This? They've got rock music from two thousand three. Uh, you get like yeah, Ultra they've got Bridge, like Nirvana, and... <laughs> Pharrell, Jimmy Eat World, and yeah, and it's the same CD that's been cycled for the last. It's, I think since they moved to Goodyear, they've had the exact same. Now CD. that's what I call music, like seventy four. <laughs> Fitting if you're going to bring back all these old guys, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think it's. It's, it's interesting, it's cool, it's a lot of different things with this Napoli topic, so let's, let's try to unpack it piece by piece. I mean, you talked about the insurance part of it, and that's a nice thing. It's, it's cool to have that, and when you bring somebody in on a minor league deal, there is no risk on, on your behalf, so if you have that guy in camp, you're not only getting a good eye on him and seeing what he's still got, but you're protecting yourself in case something happens, because, Zach, if they lost... Edwin or they lost Alonzo for any period of time, who would be the next man up to play first base? I, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, but I think, I think there's a way around it, though, because it, it's like if Napoli has a chance to go somewhere and be an everyday player, I think they would let him do that even if there was an injury. You could play Alonzo at first base and use the designated hitter to rotate guys like Yandy Diaz, Michael Brantley when he's healthy, and, and or even Jason Kipnis, and, and you could play Jose Ramirez at second base. I mean, so they could they, they'd have more flexibility, and I think they'd value that more. Now, if you lost like Alonzo for six months or that's like three months, like yeah, maybe then Napoli would make some sense. But I, I this really I think that's last on the list of reasons why he's here. Um, yeah. and I think the leadership and the just doing him a favor. Are, those are kind of the leading priorities. I agree with you on that. But it's a nice piece of, of the puzzle to have for mm-hmm. you. There has to be something in it for you. And I think that's what people are, are curious to know. Because when they're not around the team, they just hear that, that Napoli is being don't, done a solid by the organization. It's odd because you don't necessarily see that a lot. So you want, you're wondering, okay, fine, but what's the team getting out of it? Um, selfishly, that's... That's probably the first thing that everyone wants to know. So the leadership is part of it. I mean, we, we've talked about this endlessly, and you referenced it in your article, the, the bond that he formed with Jose Ramirez, who can barely mm-hmm. speak any English, and it would be the two most unlikely friends, and they were inseparable when, when Napoli was in Cleveland. And the amount of time they, they spent sitting together playing different games in the clubhouse. And, you know, we saw how a lot of the younger guys at the time uh, 
Ramirez, Lindor. A lot of guys gravitated to him. Even Jason Kipnis, I think, picked up some valuable sure. pieces of leadership by having a locker right next to him. Yeah, so I think there are, even in a four-week stretch, there are some, some positives to having a player slash coach. Could I even go as far as to say that it's almost like that for him? Um, Giambi-esque? Yeah, a little bit. Um, so I, I don't think it's a bad thing to have him around Bobby Bradley or, or really anybody. Any other young player would benefit from spending any amount of time around him. And the comfort that he brings, the way he kind of brings people together, there's a reason why a lot of teams, despite the fact that his skills are slipping, especially last year we saw that really start to happen, he's still getting a job and contenders are still interested in him because they still value some element of that that clubhouse aspect. So that's part of it. That's a huge part of it. Um, the other part that I, I think is easy to overlook, and I think this came about, or in, at least in, uh, a small example of this is in, in them bringing in Belisle, who I know Tito said was surprised that he picked the Indians. And, and maybe that's the case because you're talking about a, a veteran guy that has to come in and fight for one, maybe two spots in the bullpen. But word travels fast, and, and how you handle players is important. And that's, that can factor in how guys are picking their non-roster situations. Maybe you know, how they've handled Napoli here is an indication of this. Or maybe, I know Fangraphs had, had written a couple of days ago that, that Tito had helped out Brian Shaw when he was picking out his destination and, and kind of giving him some input. Players really appreciate that. And I think they have a really, the organization has a tremendous reputation from players and how, they tr- how they're treated by coaches by front office how open they are and we know that's something that they talk about a lot now it might be cliche and we could hear that in a lot of situations but i mean they have they have a track record here where you can kind of point to and see that it has worked and that's where i think there's a small element of this where you you do napoli is solid in this situation but other players are going to see that and say wow they're they really care for for that guy. They're willing to go the extra mile for a guy that might not even help them this year. That's a situation I want to be a part of. And maybe that doesn't separate when you're looking in free agency and trying to spend top dollar. Maybe that doesn't resonate as, as highly as just the dollar value. But when all things are equal and you have situations where guys are, are looking around trying to get a job late in camp, like Belial, like you know some of these other guys, Torres, or anybody else that has signed a a minor league contract with the Indians. They know they know they can come here and be treated right, be treated honestly, and compete for a job, but also you know be in a, a good situation. And I think there's a big part of that uh, at at stake here as well. Yeah, I mean the they wouldn't have done this if there wasn't a little bit of a benefit to them as an organization too. I mean you're right. It, it's Francona was saying how he it was important that he was upfront and honest with these guys. And, and you want to know, I mean, they, the reason they have these one-on-one meetings at the start of spring is, is Should so I that stand players... up and stretch by the way. Yeah, it is the seventh <laughs> inning stretch. Um, should we take a little intermission, like a little music break here? Yeah. A little interlude. I think I like it. Crank it um, up. So, but, but players want to know exactly where they stand and they, they, there's, it does more harm than good if to sugarcoat things and to say, Oh yeah, Bilal, come in here. You've got a good chance of making it when the reality is he doesn't. And there are like four or five guys fighting for that last spot who all have different reasons why they might be the guy. And so it's 
that you're right. Word travels fast, and and when people sign somewhere, you reach out to your agent, you reach out to old teammates, people you trust, and you ask for their opinions. Hey, if I sign here, like, what do you think of the organization? Are they going to treat me well? Do they do do they really care for their players? Is it can I be comfortable there? I mean, that that's absolutely legitimate, and that happens all the time. And so, you know, it's it's. I think their relationship with Napoli is unique, and it's different, and it. It, he was just so endeared here two years ago that it it left a like a lasting legacy. Really, I mean, who's when you think of that 2016 team? Like Napoli's one of the first guys you think mm-hmm. of, even though he didn't succeed in the in the playoffs and he struggled down the stretch. I mean, he was just so integral to that team, kind of going from you know you have an epiphany at some point where you're a good team and and you think you might be able to put it all together, and then you like. And, and it happened with the 14-game winning streak that year where it was like they knew, okay, we can actually contend for a championship, you know. Yeah, we can win the division, and, like, that's great, and, like, we're on the right track here, but we are legitimate, and then we can we can go places. And I don't think any of that happens without Napoli. And so, yeah, all those things you said I agree with, and, and it's, you know, you, it's not necessarily going to help their win total this year to have Napoli in camp for a month, um, but – it certainly can't hurt, and you're doing the guy a favor as well. Right, because we're talking about a guy that we saw it at the tail end of 2016. We certainly saw it last year. I know you put some of the numbers in, in your article over at The Athletic, but I mean, he at this point in his career, he's had become more of a guest sellout type hitter. That's why you're seeing the walk totals go down. You're seeing the strikeout totals go up. He still has the power, but he's got to sell out to get it, which means he's not as capable of controlling the strike zone and he's going to strike out more and he's just a guest hitter so that's that's why you look at it and you realize that he's probably not going to be a a fit here because he's not going to beat anybody else out for that job but just the the presence with him in the locker room is is going to be beneficial i think and you're right it might not lead to it might not add to it might not add a single win it might not have any impact uh, on the field this year but i think Lasting for for some of the young players that are around him, even for a month, uh, and if, if the situation plays out further, and for some reason he wants to go to AAA and hangs out down there, I, I think it's all positive. I don't think there's any part of this that, even if you look at him uh, potentially stealing at bats away from a young player, I don't really think that ultimately is going to outweigh any sort of positive that you can have with this situation. No, and he's they're too smart. Those who put together the lineups to allow that to be a negative factor. I mean, he's Bobby Bradley is going to get everything he needs this spring to develop, and Yonder Alonso and Edwin Encarnacion are going to get as many at bats and as much playing time as they need to feel 100% ready come opening day. So I don't think I don't think he'll steal anything. I think you know maybe Nelly Rodriguez loses a couple of at bats. I think I think the Indians will live, um, but it, it's. You're right. If, if you can find something negative with this, then you might need to reevaluate uh, how you look, your perspective towards life. <laughs> Isn't that what I, I feel like we're doing that every single week with this podcast, <laughs> trying to win people Stop over. caring to- so much about everything. <laughs> um, speaking of caring too much, we were certainly focused on the bullpen a lot this offseason. And here in, in the, the recent days, they've added to their depth. They brought in. Carlos Torres, they brought in Matt Belisle. Do you feel any better about the bullpen situation now than you did a few weeks ago? No. 
I mean, are we talking 2018 or 2019? 2018, just this year. No, I mean, I still think come September, I think it's. You could say this about any part of the roster. I think it's all going to look so different. I mean, think about the guys who are going to make this season go are guys, are the question marks. I mean, Brantley, Kipnis, Salazar, uh, Cody Ander. Like, I think the bullpen is going to especially take shape as things go. I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, they made another Andrew Miller type trade in July. Like, I think. The rotation set, the lineup, we don't know exactly which pieces, but I think we know the names. And then the bullpen, I think we're still, I'm still waiting on that one major addition, whether it's Salazar, Cody Anderson in later in the season, or if it's, if it's a trade, I, I Matt Belisle's 37. I know he had a great second half last year, but that that's not going to like move the needle for me. Neither is Carlos Torres or Ben Taylor. Um, Hopefully none of these people's families are sitting near me right now. But <laughs> <laughs> the the bullpen is good. It's you've got Miller and Allen. You've got a few guys who are pretty good in front of them. And I think for the bullpen to really take it up a notch, they need one of the three avenues I mentioned to to kind of take shape. But I don't think that'll happen until later on in the summer. Well, stop jumping out of the plane for a second and take a chill pill. Because I, I, I agree with you on on one end of that, and I'll disagree on a, on a different end. Um, if you're counting on any of the non-roster guys in camp to take on a significant bullpen role, then you, you, you have major problems. You have significant problems. If one of those guys grows into that, that's fine. But if you're counting on it... Thank you. It was a good point. I know. If you're counting on it... <laughs> That's a Yu Chang Chang single. Oh, how about that? I think maybe we'll get to him coming up in a few minutes. Um, if you're counting on that, then yeah, you're in trouble. But if it's a nice little benefit, if it's a under-the-radar type thing, which they've hit on before a uh, number of times, then that's fine. And, and I don't think any of those guys have to be – none of them have to be Brian Shaw, for sure. And I, you and I agree with that. Um, but can either of those – Torres or Bilal, because they're the guys that have had the most recent success – are any one of those guys capable of being average or a little bit above average in a middle relief role? Because the thing we haven't talked about is with Goody and Otero and McAllister and Olsen all p possibly sliding up to take on higher leverage innings, mm -hmm. it still leaves the innings that they're vacating on the you know on some end of that that are going to need to be taken care of. <clears throat> and when you have a good offense uh, and a good starting staff, um, there are going to be innings there that are middle relief innings that are still impactful because they can t keep a team in a game uh, longer and allow your offense to come back. Um, and we've mm -hmm. seen that before. And how many times have they gone to the, the bullpen day route? And guys that aren't, aren't significant parts of the bullpen are helping them stay in the game. I, I, think, I think one of those two guys could be that at least early. And sure. I agree, if you get to a point in July where the bullpen could really be shored up by adding another significant arm. I, I don't think they'll hesitate to do that. But for now, I, I think they've got enough depth that they'll be mostly fine. And with, with Allen and Miller, those two guys, as long as they're Allen and Miller, I don't think the bullpen is going to be an issue. Yeah, I, first of all, do you, Eric Stamis just walked up to the plate to Foo Fighters learn to fly. <laughs> uh, 
from what year is that song from? Like <laughs> was, 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 he, was Stamets even born when that song came out? <laughs> um, no, I, I agree with you, but you're trying to get me to be excited about the bull, about those bullpen fair. pieces. And That's I'm, fair. I don't know. I, I'm more... I'm more interested or concerned. I don't know if concerned is the right word. I'm interested to see if Otero and Goody and, and Olsen can lock down those later innings. The, the, if they can replace Shaw, basically. And, and I'm not worried about who's pitching, you know, the sixth inning of a game you're trailing seven to two. Like I, I someone will be able to do that, whether it's a non-roster guy or it's Ryan Merritt or, or whomever. Um, so it, it's, I, I think there's a lot of pressure. I'm also with you where, you know, you hope the rotation is good enough that you're getting six, seven innings every night and and you don't have to rely on those guys more than you want to. And you can turn it over to, to Allen and to Miller all the time. So um, what is this walk-up song? Oh, Pitbull. Drew Maji walking up to Pitbull. So <laughs> this, this place never changes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think their bullpen is fine, but, I, I, again, I still think that seems like an area – they could upgrade as the season goes on just because they have internal options and it's, it's always one of the easiest parts of your roster to upgrade come trade season. That's fair. Um, and I'll give you that. And I think merit is an interesting topic in itself. You, you would have a better sense of this being out there early in camp, but it sure seems like that's a guy that they're going to do their best to protect within the organization. Mm-hmm. And that's going to mean, if everybody's healthy, he's going to be sent to the bullpen. That would have to happen to keep him. Uh, or if, if Salazar starts in the DL or, or something uh, unforeseen happens that we're, it's not on our radar now, then you know they'll finagle something different. But I, I just I get the sense that he is a guy that has at least a little bit of upside in the bullpen. And I know Tito doesn't really prefer to keep someone that's designated just as a long guy. He kind of likes to use everybody – in, in the same sort of ways and not just keep one guy who never pitches out there just for the sake of protecting the bullpen in case somebody gets lifted in the second inning. But I, I still think we've seen enough of him that I'm at least semi-interested to see if they handed him a bullpen job, if he couldn't still just come in and get, get outs in the short term. I mean, we're talking about a guy that in his career has proven to be a much better pitcher when he only faces a lineup one or two times. And if you pair him up with the right pitcher before or after him, if you have a guy that, if you have a, a Kluber or someone else that's registering in the, the low 90s and then here comes Merritt and he's throwing 85, 86 um, with super slow action coming your way uh, and trying to be deceptive, I, I, I think I would be interested to see, and I'm not going to go too far out on a limb because he doesn't have this gigantic track record and doesn't have the, the prospect pedigree or any of that other stuff. But, I mean, every time we see him in the major league, he impresses me with the way that he pitches. I think he's the favorite right now to land that last bullpen spot. Or maybe there, it's possible there are two bullpen spots. But um, did Richie Schaefer just walk up to Alive by P.O.D.? Oh, my goodness. Um, anyway, the... I think that was, a, that was a that was a favorite around freshman year of college. So don't, don't talk poorly about that. So the the question you have to ask yourself is: if you only have one spot available, is it worth losing merit because you you DFA him and 
some team like the Marlins would pick him up and he'd make 35 starts for them. Is it worth losing merit to have like one of these lottery tickets, the non-roster guy like Belial or Torres or someone else be your last man in your bullpen? I mean, how much better are they really than merit, especially considering merit has such little service time. He's, he's can be a, a cheap option for you for a couple of years. He's, got starting experience I mean it seems like he would have more to offer and it's probably not I mean in my opinion it wouldn't be worth it to cut ties with him just to make room for Torres or Belial or someone like that I'm I'm surprised they haven't found some way because they do this all the time where they just pull an option out of their sleeve yeah (laughs) like I'll consult media guides I'll I'll look at, at depth charts I'll I'll verify things and then the next day they'll say, eh, that guy just got option. And I'll say, where the hell did that option come from? They've done that just so many times where they you find watch. some, some, you some little loophole and they manage to keep a guy. As Richie Schaefer hits one. Wow. Out of the actual ballpark. I'm a big, Sh- I'm a big Schaefer fan. Big he's Schaefer fan. He's an interesting fan. guy. I mean, he's got, you know, a guy who can play the corners you can find some some hitting at third base, he can be valuable, and he's got major league experience with Tampa. Um, they just don't have a. He's like Yanni Diaz if Diaz only hit fly balls. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Schaefer actually made that adjustment a couple years ago and decided, hey, I'm going to start hitting the ball in the air more. I think aren't we all entitled to at least one completely unfathomable, unexplainable? Player crush. I don't know if that's the right way to phrase it, but somebody that makes no sense why you just like a player and wish you would get an opportunity. That would Schaefer would be that for me. He's got some Chris Jimenez uh, in him too, communication wise. I think I asked him I don't know two maybe three questions the other day and looked down at my recorder and it was going on ten minutes. <laughs> and you somehow had enough space on your recorder to f- fit it all in. That's amazing. <laughs> It, it is amazing. It's, it's but, weird how that always happens when you're talking to a player, but when it, when you're talking to the manager and everybody who wants to transcribe those quotes, you just don't have it. It's weird how that works. <laughs> By the way, I think it was a grand slam for Schaefer. Wow. It's uh, 10 to 6 Indians. Now. I can't wait to read that recap later that you think you saw. Uh, getting back to, <laughs> to Merritt. Um, yeah, I, I think because, I, I mean, when you look at his numbers, you, you see a guy with a sub-2 ERA in the major leagues. And you think, this guy, in any other situation, imagine years from now, stumbling across his baseball card, turning it over, seeing a sub-2 ERA, and, and thinking, like, why didn't he get another opportunity? Why didn't he just get a chance to see what he was? Because nobody thinks that he is he's that. Nobody thinks that he's an all-star. Is he capable of being a semi-productive guy, an average pitcher? who doesn't cost a lot of money, and I really love the way he commands himself on the mound. I mean, I, I think all that's possible. And the, I think the craziest thing about Merritt is, you know, we've both had uh, more than a handful of conversations with him, and I still remember the day that he came stumbling into the ALCS uh, press conference room, <laughs> and he was shaking, his leg was bouncing up and down as they announced that he was going to start game five of the ALCS. And then you saw him on the mound, and he was a bulldog. I, I, I'm always fascinated by how different he is when you, when you talk to him. He's still you know, very soft-spoken, still kind of nervous um, to speak with anybody. And then you see him on the mound, and he looks like a, a killer. 
The guy always looks like he's <laughs> he has no fear. Um, so I, I that's well, that's something that's intangible and not necessarily anything I could point to on a spreadsheet. That is something I I have always liked about the way that he pitches. Yeah, it, it's tough for him because guys like that who don't have overpowering stuff and who are trying to uh, oh my goodness move along by all American rejects <laughs> now play like what year is it? Um, so they. Like, who are they trying to what, – what crowd are they trying to appeal to? to? That's, that's my question. The 35-year-olds who once enjoyed that music. Um, but with Merritt, like, he's – it's tough when you are in hit the position he is. It's tough to crack a, a World Series contender rotation, especially right. when it's – it's the Indians. It's the, the rotation that had the most war of any rotation ever. So, I mean, it, it's tough, and it's why, like, I could see him being DFA'd at the end of spring and being claimed by a crappy team that needs – innings and that's when he would get that chance and that's why his baseball card won't look like that forever um but it's 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 gonna be tough and it's gonna be tough for him i know he's he said he's it's out of his control so he doesn't want to think about it and the indians have said it's probably not even how he pitches this spring it's more about just the the makeup of their roster and how they want to approach things but it's it's got to be really tough for him because he has that great memory of game five you know he was still around the team last year a lot and it's it's you know, if you have to say goodbye to that in the middle of this thing and, and you never really had your chance to to be a regular, that's got to be that's got to kill you on the inside. What was he up and down eight times? How many times did we see him stop in a clubhouse and then on his way out the next day? Um, seemingly happened all the time. He was their insurance policy last year. And if I had to make a prediction today, which will completely change by the end of spring, you know that. Um but I think I think he's in the bullpen. I think he's in on the opening day roster, and I think I they only carry three bench players. Oh, okay. You're going with the extra reliever, even I though think they carry they have four ex- off days in the first four weeks. I think they carry an extra reliever, and let and this dip, could change based on you know if Salazar's on the DL or something. Then of course that's different. But I I think if if everything is set up the way that it should, he makes the team and. Another one of these non-roster guys, whether it's Belial or, or, or whomever, one of those guys makes the team too. And they only could carry be right. three bench bench players. I could see it. I mean, a lot of people were also asking today, you know, it's, why can't Napoli just play the Giambi role and they can carry him on the bench and he can just pinch hit whenever. And, you know, they had Mike Avilas back then. So they had that super utility guy who they were comfortable with in the infield or the outfield. I don't know that they're that comfortable yet with Urshela. Well, Urshela hasn't even played the outfield, but. Eric Gonzalez has played a little bit. And so remember, one of those two is going to make the team as the utility guy, but you don't have – you're going to have at least one outfield option, whether it's Upton or Davis, and maybe one of those guys starts because you're, you're without Brantley. Um, but there's just – there are so many ways they can go. It's possible that they could, they could carry eight relievers, but I think they'd have to feel comfortable with whether it's Gonzalez or Urshela uh, probably manning the outfield in a pinch. And that would be crazy because if, if say that that happens, they go with three bench players, maybe even four. Um, but and that probably bumps Yandy Diaz out of a roster spot. Yeah, Tyler Naquin. I mean, Tyler there's Naquin. a lot of yeah. – Right. Pro- they probably would have to choose either one of Raj or Upton. Uh, and then, you, you know, the rest of the guys that are getting a lot of time early in camp, Mejia, Allen, uh, Chang, who you just talked about. Uh, Richie Schaefer. Richie Schaefer, Bobby Bradley. I, I feel like – it is worth pointing out that the cupboard isn't completely bare here. 
And I know we, we, we probably spent a lot of, the, of our off-season podcasts making it seem like the depth is not going to be what it once was. And that's true. Uh, you, you can't lose the, what, five free agents that they lost and, and not have your depth take a little bit of a hit. But they're also not in a position here where you know, a lot of teams have to sell out to get in a position like the Indians are or to go win a World Series. And, and maybe some people look at that as a negative, that they have more to give and they haven't given it completely. But when we talk about the window closing, um, I think it is important to at least point out, even if it's briefly, the cupboard isn't completely bare. They still have some younger players down there that could factor in very soon that I think are, are kind of some intriguing talents. Yeah, I, you know, the reason why, look, they know that they might lose either Urshela or Gonzalez because both are out options. They're, they're probably going to lose one of those guys at the end of spring. Um, but they can live with that because Eric Stamets is going to be a triple-A and can field as well as anybody in the, the middle infield and can hit for some power now. So I think they feel kind of comfortable with that where, okay, well, Stamets can, can vie for that role the next few years. Um, you look at the catching crop, the crop of catchers they have, and all of a sudden Eric Haas is at AAA, a guy who's got like 25 home run potential and is known as a pretty good defender. His arm's not great, but he, they love the way he handles pitching staff and, and calls a game. And he's at AAA, and you have Francisco Mejia at AAA. Like, you're, you're stressing over who's going to be your catcher at AAA. Like, that's how much depth you have at catcher. So um, there are – I think they lack a little bit in terms of starting pitching depth, mm-hmm. which is you can live with because their major league starting rotation is so good. But in terms of like like the position players at AAA, it's a really good group. Bobby Bradley is uh, really coming on strong. They're really happy with him and the transformation he's made both at the plate and in terms of his physique. Uh, so it's, it's exciting. I mean, they don't have a top 10 uh, farm system. They, they have... Some pitching in the lower levels. They, they've got Tristan McKenzie is one of the best starting pitching prospects in baseball. But there are guys that can help, guys who, I mean, you, you mentioned it. We saw Mejia and Greg Allen come up, and, and those guys were playing during a 22-game winning streak. And you could see the same thing again with, with some of these guys coming up from AAA and just being part of that journey during the summer and, and making an impact and making it so that this team can stomach some of the losses that it, it might experience. And I think that's why it was nice, important to start start to actually see some games, even if they don't count, so that you can kind of be reminded of that. Because um, you know, it, it is easy to lose sight of that when everybody is leaving the team and it seems like, um, you know, it seems like DEFCON whatever, one, two, somewhere on that scale. Um, it is at least helpful to see, hey, okay, there are some some solid position players, guys that probably aren't going to emerge into Lindor or Jose Ramirez levels. But then again, Zach, you weren't saying that about Jose Ramirez two years ago, and look what he became. So if you just mm-hmm. have enough solid guys that you keep plugging in, at least keeps your organization respectable, and it also makes it so you have some if, – if you need to make a move at the trade deadline, you've, you've got a little ammunition. So they're not completely in a position here where they have to sell all out this year because – they still feel like they've got a strong core moving forward for the next several years. Exactly. And it makes it so that you have some familiar faces on the field in the seventh or eighth inning of a spring training game when most of the players are wearing number 87 or <laughs> 92 and you have no clue who's actually on the field. Yeah. Trying to figure out is who, who is, is, is that 
I've never heard of that guy. The Indians don't typically help you out by putting the no names on the back of the jerseys, but it's fine. We just pretend like we know what we're talking about, like we do with everything else. Um, and I'm looking forward to the next time we get to sit down and you're at a ballpark and I'm somewhere else. And we can pretend that we know that we're talking about then just as much as we have today. So thank you for your time today, buddy. All I know is last inning, number 62 on the Indians gave up hits to numbers 82, 83, <laughs> and 89 on Oakland. I, that's when it's just like, okay, yeah, maybe you just focus on what you're working on instead of trying to keep track of what the hell is happening. Uh, just make sure you fit all that into your score sheet. All right, what do you have coming up this week? at The Athletic? Well, we've got a uh, Thursday conversation with a special guest. I don't want to give it away. Um, special guest. Subscribe to The Athletic and you can read it. Um, and coming soon, boy, we had a 31-minute uh, chat with Trevor Bauer recently where he details every single day of his offseason and all the changes he's made, why he's in a good spot, thinks he's going to have a breakout year. It's It was... Like, I was blown away. I mean, it was legitimately fascinating stuff. And it's so funny because, you know, so many guys, you hit the off season, season ends, you take, I don't know, a month, you don't even think about baseball. Then maybe you start, I don't know, lifting weights. And then it comes to like December, Christmas time, and you start throwing again. And then you get amped up and you're excited for the season. And Bauer, I think, gave himself three days before he like threw a bullpen session. Like he went to Iceland for a week and threw, he brought weighted balls with him. He threw four times in seven days in Iceland. So just that kind of stuff. Um, we'll, we'll dive deep into with him uh, later this week on the yeah, athletic. I wouldn't put it past Bauer somewhere in, in his home to have a map of the world where he just puts pins in the, the different spots in the map where he's thrown a bullpen there. Well, the good thing is he does his he just did long toss, so he had his catcher stayed in Cleveland, and he went to Iceland, and he was, they just played catch. <laughs> I also wouldn't put that past him, at least believing that he could and wanting to give it a try. Um, thanks again for that. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast, Selby's Godcast. Uh, you can find us on Bumpers. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can now find us on Google Play in the Google Play Store, Google Play Music. And you can find all those links at theathletic.com. When we tweet out the link, you can follow us on Twitter at TJ Zuppi and at Zach Meisel. Any parting words for our guests this week? Um, uh-oh. Home run? Uh, off the, the batter's eye in center field. Uh, no, I was a little worried. Oh, that is a home run. I was a little worried that, uh, I was going to make a big deal out of that hit just now and it was going to be like a flare to second base, but that was actually a home run center. Well, congratulations to number 72 and you can read about that coming up this week. Over number 84. Okay. Fire enough. It's the year I was born. So that's a good year. We're out of here. Have a good week, everybody. See you.